This program is brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U at Stanford University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu. Good evening. Hey, thank you all for coming out on this uh, damp evening, but uh, there are important doings afoot uh, here in California and around the land with reference to the subject of immigration. Tonight, of course, we have what will be the educational institution premiere, I am told, of Crossing Arizona, a powerful documentary. We have the special privilege of having the two co-producers and co-directors join us uh, for the discussion, which I think will really enrich um, tonight's event. Uh, my name is Larry Bobo. I am the director of the Center for Comparative Studies in Race and Ethnicity here at Stanford. As you know, uh, CCSRE is the home of a number of truly exciting intellectual endeavors, and might I add, majors and minors in African and African American studies, Asian American studies, Chicano-Chicana studies, Native American studies, Jewish studies, and a comparative major for those of you who are truly multi-identified. Um, we're going to have four more sessions in this course, Immigration, Rights, and Wrongs, uh, the next of which will take place on October 9th. Um, and will be followed by three sessions after that. Uh, we have two very dynamic teaching assistants who I'm going to introduce in a moment, but I would be remiss if I didn't thank uh, the Provost's Office, John Etchemendi, uh, Continuing Studies, and Charlie Junkerman, uh, the Vice Provost for Undergraduate Education, John Brodman, uh, Karen Cook, and the Institute for Research in the Social Sciences, who have all helped uh, support this event. We also expect support from the President's office, and those of you who want to drop uh, President Hennessy a note and remind him to do so, uh, <laughs> we'll be in your debt. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, immigration is one of those issues that goes to the heart of the founding of the United States, of the creation of its institutions, of the development of a culture. Immigration is also an issue that has recently come to a head in some poignant and very powerful and often bitter and divisive ways. It is in that context that we at CCSRE, who take very seriously the profound importance of ethnicity and race to structuring identities and life experience here and around the world, that we thought we had to convene the community, as it were, to learn something about this issue, to put some facts and perspectives before you, and to shed light where there's often too little light, and to cool down what is often overheated rhetoric, and to bring sensible perspective to it. A number of people are involved um, in, in making this happen over the next several weeks and the, the remaining four major sessions. Right now, to do a bit of housekeeping, I want to introduce to you uh, Jason Sasu and Stacy Camp, who will be the teaching assistants for this course. And uh, Stacy would like to make a brief announcement or two about how we're going to coordinate a few things. Uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Stacy Camp, and I'm going to be one of the TAs along with Jason. And I just wanted to remind you of a few things. If you're planning on taking this course for credit for two to three units, you're going to need to be enrolled in a section. You can enroll in a section starting, we believe, this weekend. But please check your email frequently and, and log into coursework. That's where all the readings will be held. Um, next week, we're going to be holding the section in the Archaeology Center, Building 500. There'll be two sections, one on Wednesday from 5 to 5.50 um, p.m., and I'll be hosting that one. And then Jason will be holding one on Thursday, and I believe that's 1.15 to 2. 
Um, and if you have any questions, you can email us both. Our emails are on coursework, so log into coursework. Um, second thing, please recycle. We have recycling bins out in the lobby here. And the third thing, if you haven't checked in, please check in. You'll get credit for being here. And if you haven't checked in at one of the two doors this evening, make sure to do that on your way out. And I believe that's it. Thank you for being here tonight, and we look forward to teaching you in the next couple of weeks. Thanks. Thank you very much, Stacy. Um, a number of us at CCSRE have labored to bring this course to you. Among my colleagues who've worked on this, Professor Al Camarillo in the History Department, Professor Paula Moya uh, from the English Department, Professor Hazel Marcus, uh, our Director of Undergraduate Studies, David uh, Palumbo Lu, who I don't see sitting out here, right there, there he is joining us as well, uh, have all played an enormous role here, as has the staff includes uh, Gina Wine, Chris Queen, Margarita Ibarra, who many of you deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, as well as uh, Vera Grant and Heidi Lopez from the AAAS um, program. Uh, so I'm delighted that they're all here to join us and help make this event possible. Uh, my main purpose here is to introduce the person who will moderate our event this evening and uh, help control the faculty panel who will <laughs> comment uh, at the end of the film. So in addition to um, our, our two uh, co-producers and uh, directors, uh, we're going to have Monica McDermott as our moderator, uh, Amado Padilla from the School of Education, uh, Ivan Bejarano from uh, Chicano Chicana Studies, and um, uh, who else is joining us up here? Who am I missing? I'm sorry? That's it. All right. I'm running all over the place, and that's it. Uh, Monica McDermott, who many of you know, uh, is an assistant professor in the sociology department. She completed her PhD work at Harvard University on a truly distinguished project. She's published a, a number of influential articles at this early stage in her career. And just this summer, her newly minted book uh, was released into the world called uh, Working Class White, uh, The Making and Unmaking of Race Relations, which is a powerful and important new work, and I commend it to you all. Uh, it is my pleasure to welcome to the stage Monica McDermott, who will moderate tonight's event. Monica. Thank you for that introduction. Um, before we get started, I'd like to make a couple of requests. Um, one is if everyone could move forward as much as possible. I know we um, are fairly full here, but the, the screen is actually going to be kind of small for the, the film, showing of the film. So if there's any way in which you can um, move up, that would be great. Um, secondly, if you could um, turn off, just double check and make sure that your cell phones um, and so forth are turned off before we begin the screening of the film. Um, well, I feel very privileged to welcome you all to the screening and discussion of this award-winning documentary, Crossing Arizona, which is a Rain Lake film directed by Joseph Matthew and Dan DeVivo. We're very fortunate to have both of the filmmakers here with us tonight. After moving to the United States from India in 1994, Joseph Matthew left behind a background in finance and economics to pursue his lifelong dream of a career in photo and video journalism. After freelancing as a photojournalist for the AP's Baltimore Bureau, he took on the more challenging format of feature-length documentary filmmaking. He completed his first feature documentary, The Last Season, The Life and Demolition of Baltimore's Memorial Stadium in 2002. He now lives in Brooklyn, and Crossing Arizona is his second film. Dan DeVivo graduated from Harvard University in 1999 with a BA in social anthropology and a desire to delve into the world of independent documentary filmmaking. He spent the next several years honing his filmmaking skills in the field. Based in New York City, 
He has worked on several projects, including Counting on Democracy and We Are Family. In 2002, he partnered to produce and edit Refusing to Die, a Kenyan story, which chronicles political turmoil within the former British colony. And now both Joseph Matthew and Dan DeVivo will introduce the film. Thanks so much for having us here. I wanted to thank uh, a student here, Stella, for finding us in San Francisco when we were here for a theatrical premiere. And uh, thank you so much, Chris, for everything you've done to bring us here and everybody else. Um, so tonight is actually um, the premiere, uh, the public premiere and educational premiere of um, a film, uh, a new version of this film. And uh, Joseph and I have been working on it since February of 2004. Um, we haven't done it alone. There's a lot of talented uh, and amazing people uh, in a company, uh, Rain Lake, based out of New York. Uh, the, f the film, uh, the first version of the film actually premiered at the Sundance Film Festival earlier this year, and since then it's been making the rounds around numerous film festivals here in the United States as well as abroad. But we're really excited to share with you the new version, which we just finished a week ago, and we're gonna, it's going to air on the Sundance channel uh, in November. And the difference is, there's a slight difference besides being shorter by 20 minutes, which I'm sure you're glad. Uh, it kind of does not have certain elements of like media criticism because we had like difficulty acquiring footage from news sources. Uh, but, but this film, I think, is still very strong and uh, we'd love to get your feedback and uh, you know, we, after, after the film is done, we want to, you know, have open the floor for a Q&A and yeah, really sure. think about. Yeah, and it'll be interesting because, you know, because this film, it does embrace a lot of different viewpoints uh, from people on different sides of the issue inside the state of Arizona. It always provokes uh, some discussion, strong responses. In fact, when we premiered it at Sundance, um, we had a Minuteman come uh, to the screening. He was a Utah Minuteman. And um, I had invited him, um, and the day after he saw the film, he sent me an email and said uh, something like, it's unimaginable how any honorable American could have ever made this film. So, you know, it's, it's, but it's things like that that really, I think, confirm that we're doing our job uh, provoking um, conversations and discussion around really critical issue of our time. In fact, um, I don't know if you're all watching TV today or reading the latest blog, but George Bush just did sign that Senate uh, bill today uh, that's going to approve 700 additional miles of border fencing. Um, they only have the funding for 340, but Bush has approved all 700. Yeah, we'd really like to thank uh, you know, the university for having us, uh, giving us this opportunity to screen the film here. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy the film and uh, let's talk afterwards. Thank you.
now like I now like to um, convene our faculty panel. Um, if you'd like to come forward. Um, we're fortunate tonight to have um, both Amado Padilla and Ivan Yarbro Bejarano with us um, to provide commentary on um, this amazing documentary that we've just seen. Um, I'll introduce them in the order in which they'll be speaking. Um, Amado Padilla is a professor of psychological studies and education here at Stanford, where he's been teaching since 1988. His interests include academic resilience and positive school experiences of students from at-risk backgrounds psychological acculturation and adjustment of immigrants, especially children and adolescents, and simultaneous and successive forms of bilingual development. He's published widely in all of these areas. He's also interested in quantitative research methods and multicultural contexts. Additionally, he serves as the principal investigator of the California Foreign Language Project, a program that assists California teachers in foreign language instruction by offering year-round professional development programs including intensive institutes in the summer and follow-up sessions during the school year. Um, and following Professor Padilla will be Yvonne Yarbrough-Bejarano. She's a professor in the Department of Spanish and Portuguese at Stanford. She works in the field of Chicana cultural studies with an emphasis on gender and queer theory. She's the author of Feminism and the Honor Plays of Lope de Vega, The Wounded Heart, and co-editor of Chicano Art, Resistance and Affirmation. She's published numerous articles on Chicano literature and culture. She teaches Introduction to Chicana Studies and a variety of courses on literature, art, film, theater, and everyday cultural practices. Since 1994, she has been developing Chicana Art, a digital archive of images focusing on women artists. She's also chair of the Chicano Studies program in Stanford Center for Comparative Studies in Race and Ethnicity. And after our faculty panel finishes their uh, comments, we'll open the floor for discussion. impactful on a number of different levels and turn it on speaker on okay is this better okay so I'm not going to repeat what I said I, but I, it's an impactful film and it definitely uh, affected me in, in terms of some of, of my observations about the film and so I'd like to share what I like to uh, some, some of the comments that I had with respect to, to the film uh, and let me begin this way. One of the things that one of the, one of the uh, speakers, one of the um, immigrants said, uh, which I thought was very impactful to me, was something to this effect. And he said it in Spanish. I, no, he said it in English, actually. We come to do better in this country, not to destroy this country. And that's a very, very powerful message that we need to keep in mind with respect to immigrants because I think so often the public perception, at least as we hear it so often in the media, and certainly uh, was portrayed here by some of the uh, uh, Minutemen, et cetera, is that these people 
come in uh, to destroy uh, this country. Uh, they are inundating us and they're bringing their, their trash and their litter with us and that's just symbolic of a lot of other things that they're uh, doing to this country. Uh, we saw the, the negative stereotypes that I think many people have about immigrants. Uh, they come for welfare, they come for the benefits of this country and they want to do it without contributing to this country. And I think whenever one studies immigration, regardless of what wave of immigration one studies, one finds that immigrants come to this country not only for the betterment of themselves and their families, but, better, but the betterment of society in general. And I think this idea of the negative stereotypes has to continuously uh, be countered. Uh, people come here, as another of the speakers uh, said, one of the, another of the, of the uh, uh, migrant uh, workers, uh, we come to work to give our children an education. And then he went on and said something to the effect that people need an education to succeed. And that's the reason that many people across, across many, many centuries have come to this country to succeed for themselves and for their children and to give, them, give their families a better education. Because he said, without an education, you're nothing. So regardless of what we think about uh, how this particular group of immigrants performs in school and a lot of the negative stereotypes about their performance in school, in fact, they are coming here to give their children a better education, which means better opportunity. Another thing that struck me with respect to the movie uh, was the whole imagery around no more, no more deaths. And we saw at the end there that over 4,000 people have died in the desert over the last uh, 10 years or so. That's an awful lot of people trying to cross a desert because they want to come for a better opportunity for themselves and for their families and to not destroy uh, this country. What was also salient to me in, in, uh, in viewing this film, and I think you did a very, very nice job of it, was the whole idea of water stations in the desert. Now water stations, people need water, but that is symbolic, I think, of just a larger uh, set of things about the kinds of assistance and help that immigrants need, uh, regardless of how they come and from where they come. They need assistance not only in crossing the desert, but they need assistance in learning how to adapt and cope and do well in this country. And first of all, they need physical assistance with respect to food and water, but it's much, it's much broader in terms of that. And that's something that is oftentimes very, very easy to forget when we think about, about immigrants. And so the humanitarian assistance that immigrants need is not just about water, but it's about everything that makes their life uh, more adaptable and more successful in this country. The destruction of the water jars, I thought, was also very, very powerful. To my way of thinking, to destroy water in the desert when it's put there for humanitarian purposes is vicious and evil. And I think we need to speak out against that viciousness and that evilness that we saw depicted very, very nicely in the film. But that negativity and that, and that evilness toward immigrants, we see every day, everywhere, with respect to the negative images and the negative stereotypes that people often carry with them 
with respect to uh, immigrants. In this particular case, it's, the, it's Mexican immigrants, but it, it has also happened with all other uh, immigrant groups. So in a way, so in conclusion about that, negativity, evilness, again, is symbolic. It doesn't just happen in the desert, and wherever it happens, it's, 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 it is an evil act, at least in my opinion. One of the other things I thought was done very nicely in the film was uh, the whole thing about Arizona, Protect Arizona Now, the uh, initiative of Proposition 200, uh, where the belief is that Arizona and the U.S. is being inundated. And, and that's a very powerful word, uh, inundated, invaded, uh, overrun uh, by, uh, by immigrants, and somehow we need to protect our way of life from the invaders. Uh, and that conjures up all kinds of negativity, I think, if you're predisposed to that kind of message. And it's a message, I think, too, that even though the film focuses on it and the, and the, and the, and the images focus on what's going on or what was going on at that particular time in Arizona, uh, those are beliefs and stereotypes and feelings that people have from coast to coast and from the border, our southern border to our northern border, from New York State, upstate New York, to, uh, to uh, Douglas, Arizona. No matter where you go, there's a, a large number of people in one way or another believe that our borders are being inundated, our borders are being invaded, and somehow we have to find a way to stop that. The Minutemen, portrayed very nicely in the film, what scares me more about, most about the, the Minutemen is that there is absolutely no, no screening whatsoever for who could be a Minuteman. I mean, there is probably a fair number of crazies in that group. And there's nothing worse than a crazy, I think, with a gun, with the belief that we're being inundated, with the belief that they are there to protect this country because other people are not doing it, i.e. the government, the Border Patrol, the National Guard, the White House, etc., and that somehow it's become their duty to protect, to protect the border. And that whole thing about the civil home defense I thought was done very, very nicely. Uh, portrayed very nicely, having to hunt down and bag and tag uh, immigrants. I mean, that's, again, very powerful imagery, uh, which I think some people carry, carry around in their heads. Uh, the symbolism of the fence, um, you can build 700 more miles of fence in the, in the desert in Arizona or anywhere else for that matter. The fence, is, a fence is not gonna stop immigrants from coming. There are still so many immigrants who come, overstay their visas, and they fly in to San Francisco International Airport, they fly into San Jose International Airport, they fly into Los Angeles, they fly into Chicago, they fly into New York, they fly into Philadelphia, they fly into Miami, they fly everywhere here. They get here in lots of different ways, and a, a, a fence around the border is really not gonna stop immigration. It's symbolic maybe for some people, the men and men, makes them feel good that there's a border there, but it's not gonna, it's not gonna stop, it's not gonna stop immigration, in my opinion. It does, it does symbolize, I think, um, 
a, an issue about racism that really, to my mind, is very much at the core of uh, how, we, how many people feel about immigrants. And one has to, to stop the inundation, one has to stop the invasion, one has to stop the hoarding masses who are coming here, who are at this, in this generation of immigrants are mostly people of color. And there's a, a, an issue of, of racism in, in, in much of the negative uh, stereotyping that goes on with respect to, uh, uh, to immigrants. And I thought Crossing Arizona brought many of those points out very, very well. And again, want to thank you. I also wanted to begin by thanking the filmmakers for a very beautiful and, and complex film. Um, Amado has already hit on some very uh, important points. So what I'm going to do is very subjective, just uh, uh, make three points about cinematic strategies and choices in the film that caught my attention um, in the sense of contrasts and juxtapositions, but also in the sense of the emphases and therefore maybe things that are less stressed in the film than others. And the first point I wanted to make was the choice to emphasize the humanitarian aspect of this uh, uh, issue, both the human right dimension and the humanity of the migrants. We see this in the testimonials of non-migrants as well. Uh, the humanitarian efforts that are being made, why these people are doing what they're doing, why they've decided to help. And I think my favorite character in the film is Mike Wilson, um, the reverend uh, who's putting out water of the Tohono O'odham nation. And uh, the bottom line comes from Borstar, which is the rescue and search uh, arm of the Border Patrol when the agent says that uh, uh, crossing the border illegally is not a crime that, that one should have to pay for with uh, their life. Um, the most powerful scene for me in this uh, aspect of the film um, was the meeting with uh, the migrant uh, and Mike Wilson. And uh, for me, I guess those, those were my favorite scenes in the whole movie was the, the migrant speaking uh, for themselves uh, the voices, uh, the pain uh, in their voices and on their faces, the fear um, that they're uh, experiencing, contemplating this journey, but also the jokes in the scene picking chiles uh, about the gringos only wanting the office jobs. And uh, <laughs> yeah, but the scene uh, between Mike Wilson and the man who's become separated from his group, I find very moving and uh, not least because it gives us a glimpse of the technologies of crossing that um, these people deploy. That the man wants to know how far it is to Phoenix and uh, uh, Mike Wilson says, you mean miles? And he says, no, in tiempo, you know, in horas, you know, in, in time, in hours. Like he needs to know how long in, in time it is between where he is and Phoenix to know if he can do it or not. So there's a, a set of knowledges that he possesses that, um, that comes out in this scene. And uh, also very moving for me in this scene was when he says goodbye to Mike Wilson and then he says goodbye to the cameraman. You know, and then as he goes off down the road, which I, I love the way the filmmakers kind of held on that shot as he 
as he goes down the road, uh, you see the shadow of the cameraman on the road. So here's another technology, uh, and I think it showed beautifully the, the uh, self-supporting or the mutually supporting technologies of, of this film and the migrants crossing. Uh, reminder to the viewer of the function of, of representation and at the same time this man's experience and reality. The second point I wanted to make uh, is related to this notion of, of choices and contrasts that uh, in focusing on the everyday experiences and human realities of migrants, right, there's a constant contrast with the, the hatred and, and fear of uh, Minutemen and, and other people opposed to uh, the, the migrants and to, uh, in favor of controlling the borders. And in the original version that I saw of this film, I thought that they got too much airtime. So I think this version of the film uh, gets that more in proportion. And I kept wanting to get back to the migrants. And I didn't want to see any more of Chris Simcox. <laughs> Even though I think that just keeping the camera on him allows him to hang himself because he just comes off as so incredibly conceited and, and uh, self-absorbed. Um, but I think that making uh, the aesthetic choices or the cinematic choices to focus on humanitarian and then make these uh, contrasts with the, the, the climate of fear and hatred is that some aspects are not developed as much. Uh, for example, the, the whole context of NAFTA and uh, the very complex situation of the Tohono O'odham nation. And I'm not sure that all viewers would grasp um, the complexity of these situations. The film does make some powerful statements about NAFTA and uh, how the U.S. is creating, is, has a large part to play in creating the situation. And as a result of NAFTA, which is not fair, um, one and a half million farmers have been pushed off the land and taken with the flood of uh, U.S. subsidized food uh, across the border into Mexico and then the pressure on the Mexican state to stop subsidizing Mexican uh, farmers, one character says, one person in the documentary says, we're seeing NAFTA walking across our borders. So I think perhaps uh, more context, perhaps in the discussion we could talk a little more about this economic and political uh, contextualization. And then uh, the Mike Wilson character, of course, I thought was, was very strong in the film. Uh, and he does refer to the, the diversity of perspectives in the nation and also uh, the opposition of some people to putting out water and to doing these humanitarian uh, efforts. Um, so including this notion of the encouraging them discourse, uh, the same as some of the non-native opponents. But I think that um, in, in some sense he is a little decontextualized from this, the, uh, the Tohono O'odham nation. And, and this very similarity in the discourse of of your encouraging them by, by helping them flattens out the, the difference or the, the complexity of that particular nation which itself is split uh, by the border. Maybe we could talk about that. And thirdly and finally I wanted to pick one example of how this uh, cinematic strategy of contrast uh, works and relate it to another artistic representation of Arizona crossings. In the film Maybe we could get the image up at this point. Oh, it's been up then. In the film, uh, there are two different responses to the debris trail left by migrants. Uh, one is a point of view represented by Chris Simcox of the Minuteman Project. And 
private property owners, namely ranchers, who see the debris trail as garbage and trash to be viewed with disgust alongside the cut fences, water lines, and butchered livestock. And Isabel Garcia in the film does talk about the undeniable impact on border communities uh, and also puts, puts the blame for that uh, where it belongs. But I was very struck by the fear in the woman's voice as she speaks about the, the cost of the cleanup, of lost, losing her $2,400 bull, and the way that uh, the ranchers see the land as theirs, right, as their birthright, and how in the film this is contrasted to the uh, ACLU observer, right, who also, whose family has also been on the border uh, for many generations. So the film is just full of these uh, really eloquent juxtapositions. Mike Wilson, on the other hand, talks about the debris trail at the beginning and the ending of the film, and it's a very different response. At the beginning, he says, I like to see this. He says he likes to see the debris because uh, there are signs, right, that people are coming through, that they're making it this far, that they're finding the water. And it's like he's reading the debris. It's like there are texts or signs uh, to be interpreted. It's another technology, right, related to these uh, crossing experiences. And then at the end, what Amado referred to when he finds the slashed and stepped on bottles, and he says, I don't like this. Right? So you have this kind of affect uh, along with the, the reading of the debris, um, which is very different from uh, the debris trail left by people motivated by, by fear and hatred, like Chris Simcoff. So as Amado pointed out, a uh, very powerful statement by Mike Wilson, um, how these, uh, the debris trail uh, are signs to be read and uh, the slashing and the destruction of the water is uh, to be read as sacrilege and a crime against humanity. Um, and how Mike Wilson represents the objects left along the trail by migrants is very akin to photography by Orlando Lara and you're seeing a piece by him uh, behind me. And his, this work is on exhibition in the reading room of the CSRE building, Building 240, if you'd like to stop by and see it. But again, this, this stress obviously on the humanity. So Orlando, in collaboration with Delila Montoya, uh, went to Arizona to this to the Tohono O'odham Nation, collected these objects, and now they're serving as a kind of art activism. Um, am I out of time? Okay. So uh, this is uh, where you see the horses is a place where the border patrol has found many bodies. And um, that grim reality and that very sad reality is contrasted with the freedom and ease uh, of movement of the horses, right, contrasting with the migrants' plight. And then the objects that he's um, manipulated right, into this kind of trail, these are objects that were found uh, very different from the, the way they were spoken about by the ranchers, right? Where you have the, the pieces of paper with telephone numbers written on them, things that people have discarded or lost on the way. Um, and he's arranged the, the objects, especially the shoes, uh, to suggest a trail. So I just love that connection between this reverential, almost uh, sacred handling of these objects, uh, both in the film and in Orlando's work. Before we open the floor for, yeah, no, 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 that's okay. Go ahead. Well, before we open the floor for uh, questions, I'm really, we're really honored to have Ray Barra, uh, a Stanford student and resident of Douglas, who, who does amazing work along the border. 
to join us. We, as well. we need you up here. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're a direct link. Here. to reintroduce the filmmakers Joseph, Matthew, and Dan DeVito, who will um, be taking your questions as well as the faculty panel and our special guest, Freddie Barr. Um, so now we're ready for questions. Yes. That I was totally agree with the object of this um, um, film because it's about getting more awareness about the people um, from the people that this is so important and we need to take action. And but the thing is that um, the woman I don't remember her name but mentioned that we need them, we need them uh, immigrants. But it was kind of um, for me contradicts its own purpose that her, her beliefs because she uh, supports this um, right of immigrants because of a humanitarian and the America's foundation value. She thinks that this is why we have to support the right of immigrants. But he men uh, she mentioned that we need them. That means she somehow connects this economical value of immigrants with the reason they, why we have to support their rights. So, I mean, I know that I understand that people are highly tempted to the, their economical um, profits. But this is not about economic, but about this humanitarian value. And to make a bigger impact, I mean, bigger change, we need to somehow uh, learn how to handle mobs, I mean, the people, and uh, tempt people to vote uh, what we think as a truth and what we think as a right. But in this case, if you keep saying that we need them, that's why we have to um, support their rights and make them to come. Doesn't that make a bit ironic our situation? So addressing, yeah, that's Okay, so, so could your question would... To narrow it down to yeah. getting for more awareness, do you think it's a good way to address their economic, I mean, emphasizing their economic value? Okay, would any of you um, like to tackle the um, economic value of immigrants and how it played a role in the documentary? know exactly the, the I, I can I can appreciate the the maybe, maybe it's like an irony or if you're feeling like it has having an opposite effect that it should be having um, valuing somebody only for their economic um, contribution where whereas we're saying at the same time um, we need to protect their lives and crossing the border are you also making the argument that we do need to secure our borders and make sure that people I'm, I'm, just not, I'm just a little confused as to how I should answer your question right now. Um, I mean, I, it, it, the whole purpose of this film was humanitarian. Was it? You showed, I mean, this film showed us that mm. one woman is um, su supporting this, I mean, I mean rights of immigrants, mm. but she's addressing that we need them. That means um, she values um, immigrants because of their economic mm. contribution to the United States as a lower paid, I mean, lowerly paid uh, worker, so. Well, mm. or is, is she more or less commenting on the 
the economic realities. In, in other words, that there's a, there's, a, there's a kind of political rhetoric of demonizing migrants and militarizing the border and keeping them out where the economic reality is that the economy of the Southwest would probably collapse without migrant labor. I mean, so there is, there is an economic necessity right, that rests on migrant labor. And I think this perspective was brought out a little bit by the, fa the farmer who spoke in shadow. But I think that it, that's what I was trying to get at, I guess, with the idea of the choices that the film makes. And I think that, that the, the economic analysis is really important so that it's not, it's, you, can't, you can't reduce it and just say it's just a humanitarian yeah. issue that mm -hmm. we have to, they're crossing so we have to give them water and leave it at that, right? Yeah. But, so you need the economic analysis, but the danger is you don't want to reduce it to that. You want to bring out the human, and that's what I thought was very strong about the film, that they're moving it to the, the realm of human rights, but you still have to have the economic analysis. I yeah, think. thank you. I just wanted to point out, perhaps, I, I think perhaps the question is valid. Uh, if, 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 if you assume that the film and the only argument that it makes is that, it's a, that this is a humanitarian issue solely, but I think that what the film tries to do is call attention to some of the things that um, we're doing with our foreign policy, with our trade policy, and what have you, that is actually driving migration into the U.S. There, there are things that we could be doing a better job with um, if we are really concerned about um, making sure people who this economy does depend on are getting here in a way that is not inhumane. And also there's lots of things to work out in terms of making sure that these people are not, tr are, are treated and afforded uh, some civil rights when they are in fact employed here. There's a, that's a whole other issue that the film doesn't begin to address. I think we have a question over here. I think that, I mean, I understand that the economic context is very important and that we could have had more of that to understand. But I think that, that, that the point she's making is, is another way of bringing the economic context in, right, and trying to understand the, the risk of appealing to the economic value of immigrants for the U.S. is that we can end up having a guest program that brings nothing but economic benefits for the people that are already citizens, right? So I think that, I, I don't know if I'm representing your point well, but I think that that, I'm not saying don't bring that into the movie, and I'm not sure whether we are going to discuss the movie or the broader situation that the movie is talking about. I think that it's great to bring that into the movie, but I think that that is one of the things that we could discuss if we want to s develop a, different discourse about immigration and about rights of immigrants, we may want to protect ourselves from taking the cheapest argument, which is it's profitable for the people that are in the U.S., because we may end up with non-humanitarian uh, solutions, right, if we want to call them solutions at all. Sure. I had actually had lunch with Isabel yesterday, the person that you're talking about in who made the comment. Um, and I can assure you she's not making a pro-capitalist argument, right? <laughs> that, that's not her perspective, that's not my perspective, but it is a reality. In a capitalist society, you need cheap labor, and I think the film is not an anti-capitalist film, but it shows the reality of the human rights situation on the U.S.-Mexico border, and then it leaves to the people watching it to deconstruct and analyze it from there. I don't know if that addresses your point at all. Yes. One is um, the kind of geographic origins of most of the people that cross in Arizona. 
there was Hidalgo and Veracruz, and I wasn't sure where else in Mexico they were coming from. They're coming from everywhere, and it's not just Mexico. It's south of Mexico as well. Okay. I was wondering but if there was a certain, like, majority. Definitely. I mean, uh, by the when we were there and we talked to a lot of migrants, and a lot of them were coming from southern Mexico. Okay. Uh, yeah, so Oaxaca, mm -hmm. Chiapas, you know, all those uh, southern states. And, um, and obviously, you know, like the film, when it says things that like about, uh, about NAFTA mm -hmm. and its impact, and that's where it's had the maximum impact. You know, it's, uh, it's southern Mexico that's had to bear the brunt of um, the situation of the trade policy. Thank you. And the second thing, briefly, was I agreed with what you're saying, that some of the most powerful portions for me of the film were hearing the migrants in their own words and in their own voices telling their stories. So I was wondering as to your choice of giving considerable more kind of airtime to Minutemen as opposed to, you know, hearing more voices of the migrants, just what your right. criteria I mean, was. We, we've heard that and we know that at the same time, you know, we, we wanted to, I don't know if we give them more time, if we give the uh, Minutemen more time, but we wanted to give everybody a voice as far as, and this was not a story from the onset, you know, like we could have done a story just about migrants and the crossing of migrants, but the focus of the film from the beginning was what's happening on the Arizona-Mexico border, you know, what's ha happening actually on this side <coughs> of the border, and and the, the story of the migrants was something that was not the, not the focus of the film. It was what, what's happening over here, you know. So, so that's why it's slightly skewed. And of course, unfortunately, we had to give Chris too much time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one important um, um, point that the film brought up that isn't regularly heard in this issue is the fact that many of these migrants do not desire to come to the U.S. They don't want to leave their families behind. Um, and that's something, so I want to commend you on, on bringing that issue to bear. Um, so that's the comment. My question is, is that um, another thing that doesn't come up in this issue is um, some of the more notorious border crossers and those being um, um, transnational corporations, which is absent in this film. Um, corporations along the border which attract a lot of migrant labor from southern Mexico and Central America. Um, and these corporations being mostly American and even right. um, Asian corporations. So. So exactly, and a lot of these workers recognizing, well, if I work in the factory in the Maquiladoras, 70 miles north, I can be earning three times as much. And that um, mo motivating a lot of border crossing. Um, if that was something that came up as directors, and what happens when we, when we bring this into the conversation within this larger um, issue of, of immigration? Yeah. I mean, the, the challenge of the film for us was like, how do we make uh, from the from the beginning, we wanted to make a film that kind of like shows what's happening along the entire border and different facets of the issue. But there's so many different facets. You know, the, the story itself uh, along the border is very complex. I mean, there are so many things that we wanted to cover but couldn't. You know, it's after all, it's a film. You know, we need to get, the, you know, we need to have the narrative flow and thinking about cinematic terms and how how can you tell a story that is powerful enough, but at the same time hit as many points as it can. That was our intention. But at the same time, we, I mean, we definitely agree that there are some, a lot of things that we didn't cover. You know, for example, the maquiladoras, and then on the other side, like the whole environmental thing, how, what border patrol, what fencing, and the whole militarization is doing to like pristine, you know, natural resources along the border, that whole issue is not covered, you know, like, so we know there are a lot of things, you know, a lot of holes in the film. You, there's no way that you can make a film that covers the entire, I'm just like, it's a three-part series, which if somebody funds it, that'll be great. <laughs> <laughs>
Yes. Uh, I'm from Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, I've lived there most of my life. And it's, o it's always been a black and white situation with the people there that I've met. And um, it's either you feel strongly towards um, the issue and you want to do something about it to help immigrants, or you feel strongly towards it and you really want to stop it, kind of like what we saw towards the end. Um, something that oh, my, my roommate and best friend here at Stanford is, uh, he's from Lindsay, California, down south, and his parents came uh, and crossed the border. And it's something I feel real close to and something I just, I was thinking about during the movie. I was, I was wondering if our government has anything in place to help Mexico, which historically has come to our aid in times of war, like Vietnam and other issues. Um, I was wondering if we have anything in place other than putting a fence up. I, I don't know if we did. And also, I was also wondering, I don't know if this is a logical question, but why is the number so low? If you think of millions coming over, 4,500 deaths since 1995, I think it's a little low. I'm just wondering, are, are they unaccounted for? Or yes. Okay. Uh, nobody knows. That's what the Border Patrol, Ray Ibarra says, uh, sorry, Ray Ibarra. <laughs> Andy Adame says in the film uh, <laughs> uh, that, you know, the desert has taken thousands, he says, you know, thousands of lives, you know, that nobody knows. The gift from the U.S. government to the Mexican government is NAFTA, right? And it's pushing neoliberal economic policies down the throats of other governments like the Mexican government, which instead of helping them out and keeping people in the country where they want to stay, it's forcing them to migrate. So all the talk we hear, the recent legislation about the border fence, there's no, no kind of Marshall Plan to put more resources into Mexico to keep people from actually coming across. I don't believe it was Chris Simcox, but kind of from that same school of thought. Um, and he said that um, he's very against the immigration policy in the sense that the borders are not being protected the way they should be, um, but that uh, he would be the first person to shake the hands of the immigrants who came in legally. So I'm curious um, if you were able to understand why or how those people define these people differently. Because pretty much the difference between these people are their ability to either receive you know, the legal visa to come into this country or not. And I'm curious why, instead of um, asking Bush to put more people on um, the border to keep them out, they don't ask Bush to um, give more visas out and allow more people into the country, which um, in that sense would eliminate some of the problems that they're having. There, there, there is a lot of talk, of, I mean, people encouraging us to increase the, the very low number of visas that are given out, but it's, it's, really, not, it's really not being received very well. Um, and also, I mean, if you look at what it takes to, to get a visa, the qualifications, you, you need to own property, you need to, you need to have a bank account, and, and, and and that doesn't even begin to speak to the people who are actually having the need to cross. These people would not even qualify um, to, to get a visa, even if there were more visas provided. Um, my question is, though, why those people aren't fighting to change those policies instead of trying to stop these people from coming in? Because if he meant that wholeheartedly, right. 
what he's saying is he approves of um, legal immigrants, which he's saying are different from the I mean, people you know, who are. It's pretty obvious that he does, he's, 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 he's not saying that wholeheartedly. That's what it is. I mean, look at if you listen to what Tom Tan Tancredo is saying, you know, he's, they're fighting for the nation. They're fighting. That's what they, they see. See this as an invasion of people who don't belong here. You know, whether they're coming in legally or illegally, you know, they don't belong here. So that's what they're fighting for. So there's no way that they can they're going to change their you know attitude. Yeah, I mean, it's empty rhetoric. Yeah. Every time I'm out there doing an interview, and then they ask me that question, well, the Minutemen say if they're legal, then that'll be you know fine. They're happy with that. And I'm say I'll say okay. Tell them we'll put somebody out here to give them a visa, and then see whether or not they let them come across. It's the same thing they say, you know, once our border is secure, then we can have a guest worker program because they know the border will never be secure. So they just throw out this empty rhetoric so to disguise their racism. Okay, I think we have a hand here in the back. Hi. Um, I don't think that all the immigration problems is focused in NAFTA. I think it's a lot of things that is happening in Mexico. But if we only think that NAFTA is the main problem of the immigration, I think we are wrong because we have poverty, we have corruption, we have poor education, and these things are not related with NAFTA. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's yeah. one thing, but it, it, it cannot be focused on NAFTA. No, no. And uh, there's just one, uh, one who's had her hand up for, I'm sorry, for a while, um, but I've missed. Go ahead. Yes. I'm interested to hear from the filmmakers, what do you think the solution is to fixing the immigration system? Or I don't know, do you think it's even broken? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's completely broken, and it doesn't serve anybody's interest right now. I mean, the, what, the one thing it can start off is by having some kind of legal way for people to come across. It just doesn't, doesn't make any sense that you know people need to cross the desert, walk like for four days to find you know, an unskilled work, unskilled job somewhere. I mean, there's no reason for them to do that and to live in the shadows in the United States. There's no reason for that to be. You know, there can be some way in which, you know, the, the needs of unskilled labor in the United States is addressed. It's not being addressed right now. You know, the need for the, the need is not acknowledged, nor are the, you know, are, are any, um, any opportunity given for those people to come in here legally. So it's like, you have to start off somewhere. You have to start like giving some kind of legal way for, for people to come across. And also, like since there is no legal way, it's trapping so many people in the United States. People can't go back. That's something that we found out. You know, there's no circular movement of migrants, which used to be like before it all happened, before now, before before uh, Operation Gatekeeper and Operation Hold the Line. People used to come back and forth across the border. Now they can do that. You know, they come here and they find that the border is so militarized, you cannot, you cannot come back. So they're, they're stuck in the U.S., literally. And then now we're finding that more and more children, unaccompanied children and, and women are crossing the border because, because they're, you know, the husbands here, here cannot go back to, to Mexico. So, I mean, it, the whole thing is, uh, is a complete chaos. It's not working for anybody. And in, in addition, um, you know, one, one thing that we, I don't think we've really uh, tried enough of, and I think one, the only thing that really will work is to bring our neighbors to the south into closer economic alignment with us. We need to start thinking about developing 
inside of, of another country uh, in a way that's not going to encourage jobs to leave, but in a way that is going to encourage um, you know, them to be able to sustain themselves where they really want to stay. Um, right now, we've set it up in a way that is actually functioning to encourage migration north. And I'm afraid that that's all the, the time we have at the moment. For yeah. Can I just say, like, I would encourage anybody to go to the website and start a dialogue with us. You know, if, you know, this dialogue wasn't sufficient, if you didn't get to voice all your criticisms, uh, uh, concerns, please contact us at info at crossingaz.com. And we'll read every email you send us later. <laughs> The preceding program was brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U and is copyrighted by the Board of Trustees of the Leland Stanford Junior University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu.